God bless you all. So we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 10, verse 25. You can turn there. Um, but in the meantime, I just wanted to uh, thank Pastor Tim for the opportunity to share the Word of God. How many thank God for Pastor Tim and his wife, Cheryl? Amen. Praise the Lord. And um, how many have enjoyed this uh, message series about the Jesus encounters? Have it, hasn't it been good? Jesus encounters. You know, you know, throughout the Bible, you see so many people that had encounters with the Lord. So many different circumstances, different people, but they encountered Jesus. And I'll never forget the day that I received Christ. It was December 23rd, 1984, the day after my birthday. I don't even remember the message. I, don't, I didn't know anything about the Bible. And I saw myself, I was running to the front of the altar. I ran to the altar and I called on God. And I asked God to forgive me of my sins, to give me a new life. And it was a powerful encounter. And I got up from the, that, uh, from the altar, and there was people behind me crying and praying. And I turned around. I'm like, what are you crying about? I'm like, praise God. Hallelujah. So that was my encounter with the Lord. But God wants to encounter you. He wants an encounter with you. It's so important. It's, it's, more, you know, it's one thing to know about God. It's a completely other thing to know of God, to know him personally. Jesus said that if any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink, and out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. He is the bread of life. Religion is boring without Jesus. Can you say amen? Amen. So I want to speak to three groups of people today. The first group, those of you that have never given your life to Christ, today could be your day. And I also want to speak to those that maybe you come to church once in a while on occasion, um, but you're kind of on the outskirts. I want, to, I want to speak to you today. And those of you that are Christians, I'm praying that you receive a fresh revelation of God's love in your life, that you sense his presence um, in your life today. We're in Jesus' Encounter, part eight, and the title of my message is Rediscovering the Parable of the Good Samaritan. The Parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I really felt like God was leading me to this passage of Scripture, but I didn't want to preach it. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. Because I used to feel guilty about this passage of Scripture and others in the Bible. But I'm going to show you something. I had a powerful encounter with the Lord as I was studying this, this Scripture. Um, the other reason was that, you know, many people know about this story, about the Good Samaritan. We know uh, hospitals have been named after the Good Samaritan. We actually um, give to a, an organization, a Samaritan Purse. These are all great organizations, and many of us know about this. Samaritan laws have been written um, based on this parable. But on the surface, it seems like a very simple message, like love your neighbor. Okay, I think that's pretty basic in the Christian faith, right? <laughs> love your neighbor. Love those that are not like you. Love those that even hate you, right? I think that's a pretty common theme. So I don't think that that's the main subject of this passage of Scripture, and that's why I'm saying let's rediscover this passage of Scripture. And so uh, would you all stand with me? We're going to read starting. I'm gonna, just going to read the first um, few verses, verses 25 through 28. This actually goes to verses 37. But reading verse 25, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? 
And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have said correctly, do this and you will live. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you, Lord God, for the, for the opportunity to preach your word, to share your word, God. We thank you, God, that your word says where two or three are gathered, that you're in the midst of us. We invite your presence. We love you, Lord, and we pray, as we always do, reveal Jesus to us. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. Praise God. You may be seated. This is such an amazing parable. And if you understand this parable, you'll understand other parts of the Bible that it may, may have been a, a struggle for you. Um, I had a powerful encounter. I was on the train the other day on the way into Boston. That's, I work in Boston. And I'm trying to share the message with my wife. And I could barely get the words out. I became emotional. And I just couldn't get it out. It was, felt like I got kicked in my gut. And I want to. we're going to learn, we're going to discover four important things about this passage to help us understand the true meaning of this text. So the first point is that verse 25, we discover a great question. We discover a great question. Your life depends on it. He says, it says in verse 25, and behold, a lawyer stood up. It's important to understand the context because Jesus' 70 disciples had just finished preaching the gospel and uh, healing the sick and uh, casting out demons. And uh, they were rejoicing in this. And Jesus was rejoicing with them. And he was sharing with them how their names were written in heaven. That's what Jesus was sharing that with them. He said, you know, don't be glad that you're casting out demons, but be glad that your name is written in the book of life. So they're rejoicing, and then we, all of a sudden we have this scripture where it says, and behold, a lawyer stands up. You got 70 disciples, and you got this lawyer that stands up in the midst of them. And this lawyer, don't think of this lawyer like a typical lawyer. This lawyer was, um, he was an expert in the Mosaic law. He was the elite, okay? When we look through these passages of scripture, scripture, it's important to see the various contrasts because there's huge contrasts in these scriptures. But he was the elite. He, was, he probably could recite the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He could recite everything. Does anybody here recite that? Can anybody? <laughs> Not me. Um, but this guy was as religious as they came right? So the lawyer stands up and he puts Jesus to the test. And the word test there is the same word that's used in Luke chapter four, when Satan came to Jesus and tried to test him. And Jesus said to him, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So we know that the lawyer had evil intentions. He didn't have good in intentions. And you can tell a lot about a person by the questions they ask. Amen. <laughs> Um, we have a similar passage uh, in John chapter 3, Nicodemus, when he approached Jesus, he said, we know you are a teacher come from God, for no one could do the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. Now, he came at night to him, but he had a sincere question, right? Um, so why do you think that the Pharisees and others were always trying to trap Jesus? It's important to know that the book of Luke is written to Gentiles, right? Jesus was ministering to those that were poor, the sinners, 
to the tax collectors, the Roman centurions and prostitutes. And this upset the Pharisees, these religious sect. And Jesus regularly exposed the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. But I want you to know that even though he had evil intentions, he didn't have good intentions, he asked a very important question. He asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's a pretty important question, wouldn't you say? This is the same question that the rich young ruler asked in Luke chapter 18. It's asked, the same question was asked like 19 or 20 times throughout the Gospels. And it's an important question for us. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Everybody wants to think that they have eternal life, right? Everybody wants to go to heaven. Hebrews tells us that it's appointed to man to, to die once and then face the judgment. It's a pretty important question. It's more important than who you're going to marry, what career you're going to have. It's more important than your job. It's more important than all of that. We can't escape death. And some of you listening to me, you may be alive physically but spiritually dead. And if you are honest with yourself, you know you don't have a relationship with God. You don't know God, and you know this. The lawyer believed, like most of us believe, that our, a way to heaven or a right relationship with God is either to be religious or to follow certain rituals or to have some self-approval of yourself. There's a big thing today that people say, well, I'll send you good vibes. Good vibes aren't going to send you to heaven, okay? <laughs> they don't send you to heaven. Um, so Nicodemus approached Jesus, and Nicodemus, like I said, he was a religious Jew, and Jesus said to this religious Jew, he said to him, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You can't see it. And in Romans tells us that we are dead in our trespasses and our, and our sins. So this passage of scripture shows us that even though you're religious, even though you're religious doesn't necessarily mean that you know God. It doesn't mean that you have a relationship with God. It appears that this lawyer doesn't have the answers and he has no assurance of salvation in his life. But listen to 1 John 5.13. It says, these things are written to those who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know that you have eternal life today. You don't have to wonder whether you're saved, whether you have a right relationship with God. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. Do you doubt that you're going to heaven? Do you doubt that your sins are forgiven? Is there any doubt in your heart today? I wonder. You can receive Jesus Christ. But the important thing is, is that this man asked a very important question. How can I inherit eternal life? Point number two from this text, we learn, we discover a great command. God's commands reflect his character. Jesus answers the lawyer's question by pointing him to the law. He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And it was kind of sarcastic in a way. It's almost like going to a Bible scholar and you say to the guy, what's in the Bible? You know, and you kind of, it kind of seems sarcastic. But Jesus, Jesus pointed the rich young ruler to the, to the law of God as well. 
And the lawyer answered, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You got to realize that this lawyer, he was full of head knowledge. He knew he could write, recite the Bible to you. In fact, they had something called a phylactery that they would attach to their head, and they wrote these little scriptures in there. And one of them would be Deuteronomy 6.5. It's called the Shema. They would quote these scriptures like twice a day. And they had them on their wrist. So remember, look at the contrast. Look at the, the tremendous contrast in the Bible. This guy was as religious as they come. The scriptures on his head. I mean, think about this. Um, so in Matthew 22, Jesus also res responded the same way to another lawyer on a later occasion, in Matthew twenty-two thirty-four, 34, um, the, the lawyer asked him, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said the same scripture, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then he says, on top of that, on these two commands depend all of the law and all of the prophets, right? So upon these two laws, to love God with all your heart, love people. I want you to think about what we're saying here. This is God saying, love God with all of your heart, with the core of your being. Perfect love to God and perfect love to man. The essence of the law was to love God and others perfectly. Amen. The other thing that we learn from this scripture, we see the priority of love, but we also see that our greatest need is love, right? We were created in the image of God. We were created to love and to be loved. And aren't we at our best when we feel loved? We're at our best when we feel loved. We feel the most human when we're loved. But when you don't experience love, you feel like a number or a robot or worse yet, and this part gets me the most, you can feel like an animal. Think about it. People suffer through many different things. They don't, they don't have love in their lives, and they feel like an animal. To not be loved is painful. Facing rejection is deeply painful. I love what Tim Keller says about our need for deep love, for a need for love. It's the loss of love that makes us not want to live. It's the hope or the certainty of love that makes you want to live. And we know that this lawyer had evil intentions. He wanted to trap him. But deep down inside, he's no different. He's no different than us. He's wanting to know what are the requirements that he'll be accepted. Amen. That he'll find favor. That God will love him deep down inside. Everything we do in life is dominated by love. That's why when there's a deficit of love, we do kind of crazy things. We, start, we, we reach out to other things, whether it's drugs or alcohol or sex, sexual deviancy. Why? Because there's a craving of love inside of us. Are you desperate for love today? Do you feel a sense of loss in your life? I'm here to tell you, God loves you. Point number three we see in this text, in verses 28 through 29, we discover a great chasm, a great chasm or a great separation. God's commands reflect our condition. 
Not only do they reflect God's character, but they reflect our condition. Romans chapter 3, 23 says, there is none righteous, no, not one. We all come short of the kingdom of God. And remember the question, how do I inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus answered him and said, do this and you will live. Now, why does Jesus keep pointing the rich young ruler and this lawyer in this instance? He continues to point them to the law. It can be kind of confusing. I thought we were saved by grace in faith in him, right? Well, first, I want you to realize that Jesus is answering their question. They asked, he asked them, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And it's kind of an oxymoron. You don't usually do anything to inherit anything. It's based on a, relation, a relationship, amen? And secondly, he's trying to get the lawyer to face himself is really what he's trying to do. So we are incapable of loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. There's nothing wrong with the law of God. In fact, God's law is absolutely beautiful. And that's one of the things that really got me. I'll never look at the, the law of God the same again. God's law is a reflection of his character. It's a reflection of him, his beauty. Listen to what the psalmist said in Psalm 119, 105. He says, it's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Psalm 119, 97. Oh, how I love, the, how I love your law. Why? It reflects God's character and his beauty. There's something wrong with us. And I want to illustrate this for you. In James chapter 1, verse 23, it says, Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at, the, at his face in a mirror and forgets what he looks like, looks like. So the word of God is a mirror to us. It reflects the beauty of God, but it also shows our own condition. Because of our need for love, we take the mirror and we try to brush our hair with it. We try to brush our teeth with it to make ourselves look better. And that's not the intention of the law of God. Amen? The word of God reveals to us what we are and who we can be in God. It exposes our own fallenness. It's a mirror that reflects our image. And the law is meant to be a schoolmaster to lead us to Jesus Christ. Can somebody say amen? Think about this scripture, Matthew 5, 48. I always struggled with this one. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. How are you doing with that one? <laughs> you say, I can't be perfect. And then that's exactly the point. You can't be perfect. What is Jesus saying? He's saying that we need help. Romans 3 tells us that no one will be declared righteous by keeping the law. And it's kind of funny when I ask people, if you were to die today, do you know for sure that you'll go to heaven? And oftentimes people will say, well, I'm a pretty good person. And I'm like, well, by whose standard? Well, they'll say, here's a high standard. They'll say, well, I haven't killed anybody. And I say, oh, that's great. Did you hear the scripture that said, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister will be subject to judgment. I think maybe some of us may have murdered somebody in our hearts on the way to church this morning driving. That's a possibility. <laughs> 
Not me, of course. <laughs> or how about this one? You've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say to you, thou, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed the very act in your heart. You've already committed the act of adultery. And the lawyer is not finished. He continues to press on like a typical lawyer. I'm not picking on lawyers today, but he says, but he desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Trying to find some technicality. Why do you think he wants to justify himself? Probably the same reason why you and I want to justify ourselves. He wanted to make himself right with God. Tell me what I need to do. Isn't that what we're all about? Tell me what I need to do. What does it mean to just be justified? It means to become right with someone. I want to illustrate. So if you owed a debt to someone or to a company and um, you can't have any other f future transactions because of that debt, um, I... That means I'm not in right standing with that person. I need to be made right. And that's what it means to be justified. The problem is we are not right. Point number four is that we discover the great Samaritan. We discover the great Samaritan. God's commandments require a great savior. Verses 30 to 37. This conversation with the lawyer leads Jesus into using this unbelievable parable to reveal to the lawyer, really to reveal himself. Now remember, this doesn't necessarily, the scripture doesn't necessarily say it, this is a parable. It could have been a true story. Um, and there was actually, there's actually uh, Josephus, the um, ancient historian, talks about uh, this road and what have you. And there were... Um, a lot of robbers on this road and what have you. But typically, a parable is an earthly story to reveal a heavenly truth. And usually it has one central point. So what is Jesus saying here? What is he trying to get across to this lawyer? Well, verse 30, Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and, depart and departed, leaving him half dead leaving him half dead. Now, Jerusalem to Jericho was about 17 miles, and Jerusalem was about 3,000 feet above sea level, and Jericho was about 1,000 feet below sea level. So think about this. Jerusalem is the place of peace, and it's going down to, Jeru to Jericho. The road that went, that went from Jerusalem to Jericho was very dangerous. It was known as the Pass of Adumim. It was the way of blood. It was a very windy and rocky road and very dangerous. There was robbers and uh, those that would seek to uh, take advantage of people in that area. Very dangerous. So the scripture tells us that, he sh that they stripped him, stripped him of his clothing. They beat him. And the verb there means that they continuously beat this guy. He was totally unconscious. He was in critical condition. They kept beating him and left him half dead. They left him in critical condition. They took every, every one of his possessions. Again, remember the contrast, the, 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 the extreme of this guy's beating and the extreme of who the lawyer is. Jesus continues in verse 31. Now, by chance, now the lawyer's 
ears are perking up. He hears a priest. By chance, a priest was going down that road. When he saw him, he passed on the other side. And so likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place, he also saw him and passed by on the other side. Now, both of these guys did the same exact thing. These are the elite, the religious, and they knew what they were supposed to do, but they went in the total opposite direction. Leviticus 19.34 says to love your neighbor and love the stranger. And Micah 6.8 says, he has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord, the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. But they both of them, they walk on the other side. And the next part of the parable is going to be a gut punch to the lawyer. Because right now, Jesus indicts the religious elite. They were like representative of the law, the religious establishment, who couldn't help the guy that was beaten on the side of the road. And Jesus introduces the hated Samaritan. The Samaritans were hated by the Jews, and the, Jew, and the Jews hated the Samaritans. Verse 33 says, But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. The Samaritan had compa compassion on this Jewish man that was beaten on the side of the road. These two guys, they, there was no reason for this guy to stop. He could have been putting his life in jeopardy for, for taking care of this man that was on the side of the road half dead. But he stops, and he looks to help him. And remember, the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. You talk about racism. They absolutely despised each other. In fact, there's one scripture where they called Jesus a demon-possessed Samaritan. That was like the worst thing that he can call, they can call Jesus. And the reason for this is that, so the Samaritan, the Jews intermarried with the Assyrians because the Assyrians attacked Israel in 722 BC, the Northern Kingdom. And when they did that, there was an intermingling or intermarrying uh, between the Gentiles and the Samaritans. So they were absolutely hated by the Jews. Yet this Samaritan, who would have been despised by the Jews, he, he himself is an outcast, rejected, showed compassion. And we read how Jesus often showed compassion. He was moved with compassion. It says that in the scriptures how he saw the people as harassed and helpless. And this Samaritan cares and shows care. Verse 34, it says, he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. So think about this. This Samaritan bends down to help this Jew. He bandages up his wounds to stop the bleeding. He pours oil and wine on it. That was a, a form of first aid during those days. And the word poured means lavishly poured out. Think about that. He lavishly poured out the oil and the wine. He puts the wounded man on his own animal. He takes his place and he puts the man on his own donkey and he walks beside him. He takes him to an inn. There's different Greek words for this inn. It could have been an animal barn, but it seems like he put him in a hotel, like a, a pretty reputable place. And verse 35, it says, the next day he took out two denarii and gave, gave them to the innkeeper and saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay. I will repay you when I come back. 
He gives the innkeeper two denarii. It was like two days' wages. He could have stayed at the inn probably for like three weeks to a month to provide for his care. He tells the innkeeper to spend whatever, whatever it takes to take care of this guy, and he'll take care of it. He'll cover the expenses free of charge. His healing is totally free. And it says that the next day, so the Samaritan actually stayed with this guy. He actually stayed with him to make sure that he was okay. This is unbelievable love. And again, remember the contrast here. This is unbelievable. This is lavishly pouring out oil and wine. This is lavishly pouring out a love that nobody has. He shows this man compassion. This is love without boundaries. This is sacrificial love. This is love without limits. Can somebody say amen? And Jesus says, which of these three do you, th do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? And the lawyer could ba barely get it out of his mouth. He wouldn't, definitely wouldn't say Samaritan, right? So he says, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to the lawyer, you go and do likewise. Notice how Jesus turned around the question because the lawyer asked, who is my neighbor? Yeah, tell me who my neighbor is. And Jesus turns around to him. He says, who is the one that was a neighbor to the one in need? Jesus was trying to draw attention to what it means to love. And you know, oddly enough, we typically identify ourselves with the Good Samaritan, don't we? That's why it always used to bother me. It was like, Jim, you got to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. You know, I got to take care of the people on the street, you know, bring them in my house. I don't know, create a hospital or something. That wouldn't be a good idea. But, uh, but it always kind of bothered me. And we typically identify ourselves with the Good Samaritan. We rarely identify with the Levite or the priest, right? Although some of us do um, fall in that category. But we are definitely the ones that are on the side of the road. And this is a picture of all of humanity that's dead, beaten on the side of the road, without hope, lost, without God. So the point is this. We are definitely not the heroes. I'm going to say that again. We are definitely not the heroes. We are the broken ones. We are the ones that need healing. Who is the Samaritan in the story? Anybody? Jesus. Jesus is the Samaritan in the story. He was just like the Samaritan. He was hated and rejected by the Jews. They yelled out, crucify him. The wine is a representation of the blood of Jesus that removes our sin, the infection of sin. And the oil, the oil is representative of the Holy Spirit that heals us and transforms us. This is not about behavior, uh, changing our own behavior, the Holy Spirit is the one that changes us. Amen. And the man placed on the donkey is representative of Jesus taking our place on the cross. Jesus pays our debts free of charge. Jesus is the great Samaritan. And the Bible says that there is none good. No, not one, the Bible says. That's why there is no good Samaritan. There is a great Samaritan. His name is Jesus Christ. This man is moved with compassion. Is, is this point, is the point of this story for us 
to go out and help everybody on the street? No, we should do that. And that's a common, I'm pretty sure that, you know, in the Christian faith that that's what we're supposed to do. But the point here is for us to see Jesus, to see Jesus. We are overwhelmed by his lavish love that moves us to compassion. But we must first see our helplessness and our need to look in a mirror and realize that we are in need of a savior. It breaks you. My encounter through this whole process, it was like a gut punch to my stomach. I don't know how to explain it, but it's his lavish love, and he loves you so much. And he would pour out his love for you, and he did pour out his love for you. We are the broken sinner on the side of the road. Jesus offers himself. It's by grace that we are saved. Those who repent and turn from their current direction and face the Lord, you can know Jesus today. You can know for sure that you're going to go to heaven, that you have a right relationship with God. We then show compassion towards others. We receive this lavish love. And yes, we become that neighbor to other people. And yes, we love all cultures. And yes, we love all people. Absolutely. Listen to John chapter 3, verses 16 to 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe on him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. It's through Jesus Christ. Jesus is our justifier. The lawyer wanted to justify himself, but Jesus is his justifier. What does it mean to be justified? It means just as if I've never sinned. It's not because I didn't sin, but Jesus, he declares us Free, he declares us guilt-free in the name of Jesus because he paid the price for you and for me. Listen to Psalm 32.2. says, blessed is the man to whom the, the Lord does not impute iniquity. He declares us righteous, not because we are righteous, but because he paid the price. And I want you to listen to the words of Isaiah 53 our great Samaritan. Listen to these words. These are prophesied. I think it's like 600, 700 years before Christ even came on the scene. This is in the Old Testament. This is a prophetic, a prophetic text about Jesus. It says, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Sermon in a Sentence. We inherit eternal life, not by what we do, but what Christ has done for us. Jesus Christ offers you and me forgiveness, forgiveness, unmerited favor. He offers his grace and lavish love. To those who will repent and turn from their sin, we in turn are compelled to share the same with whomever and whoever our neighbor is. There's two reasons why most people don't come to the Lord. 
either they love their sin or they feel like God could never love, love them. God can never forgive their sin. The other reason is some people will say, I'm glad you go to church. I'm glad you got God. I'm okay. I'm a pretty good person. There's too many hypocrites in the church. I'm spiritual. I want you to remember one thing. I want you to remember the nails that were driven in Jesus' hands. I want you to think about the punishment that he suffered for you. And he loves you so much. You may feel lost. You may not know Jesus. You can know him today. Today, you can invite Jesus Christ into your heart. It'll be a new day for you. I did that in 1984. I'm still serving God. What's really sad is that this lawyer was face to face with the Savior of the world, the Son of God, God in the flesh, and he walked away never encountering the one that could transform his life, the one that offers eternal life. He walked away from that one that was standing right in front of him. Don't miss your opportunity this morning to give your heart to the Lord.